Dads, I need you to listen. This, uh, this message uh, is, is particularly targeted toward dads. Everyone else, you need to listen too because there's some stuff there that's going to be relevant to you and dads have got a tough job to do and they need some help with that. Um, and and you'll, you're going to be able to help them with, uh, with some of these things. Uh, dads, if you don't remember anything else I say, I want you to hear this. It is your responsibility to teach your children to love God. Full stop. Dads, it's your responsibility to teach your children to love God. Now, of course, mums need to do that as well, but the scriptures are very explicit about the fact that it's the dad's responsibility. If a generation gets lost, it's the dad's responsibility for that generation getting lost. There's a lot of talk at the moment um, in the right circles, if you listen, if you've got your head in the right circles about, about America and about how there's a whole generation of kids being raised up in America that don't love God. You know whose responsibility that is? It's the fathers. There is a whole generation of fathers. If there's a whole generation of children that are not loving Jesus, there's a whole generation of fathers who didn't teach the children to love Jesus. Now, some of you might sit there and you kind of go, well, hang on, you know, don't the kids kind of get to make their own choice about Jesus? Of course they do, right? But the scriptures also say that train up in a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I think there's a general outcome when a generation of fathers decides to teach their children to love Jesus, there's a generation of children that love Jesus. Does that make sense? And now there might be some exceptions along the way. I'm not saying there's not anomalies and exceptions, but I'm saying as a general rule, when fathers teach their children to love God, children, as a general rule, learn how to love God. And so I want to ask you today, dads, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do it? We're going to look at a psalm that is incredibly specific about the instruction that fathers teach their children about how to love God. And it's Psalm 78. So I'd love it if you could turn to that. Just crack your Bible open in the middle if you're not sure where the Psalms are. Flip across to Psalm 78. Uh, you'll notice that it's got about 72 verses. And we're going to read most of them as we go. But I'm only going to read the first eight at the start here. So if you can flip over to uh, Psalm 78, that'd be great. The big numbers are the uh, chapter numbers and the small numbers are the verses. We're going to start at verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Now, just stop for a minute. I want to ask you, dads, what is the vision that you've got for your family? How much legacy are you actually thinking about? If you go back to that verse there, right, verse 6, it doesn't actually just say fathers need to teach their children to love God, but that when a father teaches his children to love God, his children are going to teach their children to love God. So are you thinking the next 10 minutes, the next 10 weeks, the next 10 years or the next generation and the one after that? 
Are you? Because that's what God wants you to think. God wants you to have a vision that's that big. That goes, I'm not just interested in my children loving God. My interest is in my children loving God and them teaching their children to love God. That's a big vision, right? And some of you need a bigger vision. Some of you have got that vision, but some of you need a bigger one. All right? So it's like how concentrated, how focused, how dedicated the dads need to be to teach their children to love God if they're going to love them in a way that they're going to teach their kids. Amen? Anyone with me on that? Anyone know that's too big a task for an ordinary man? It is, right? But that's what God does all the time. He says, this is what you need to do. And you go, I can't do that. And he goes, that's exactly right. That's why you need me. And then you walk on independence upon him doing the things that are beyond you verse 7 what are they to teach the next generation and then what's that generation to teach the next generation that they should set their hope in god and not forget the works of god but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation whose heart was not steadfast whose spirit was not faithful to god this psalm is a kind of psalm like, don't be like that guy, <laughs> all right? See, it's a weird kind of psalm. It's kind of going, fathers, you need to teach your children to love God. And here's how the psalmist is going to teach you how to do that. He's actually going to say, what you need to do is you need to see how big a losers people are and how God interacts with them in such wonderful ways. You see that? And it's kind of like, don't be like your fathers who are stubborn and rebellious, kids, Put your hope in God. Don't be like them. And there's three aspects of, um, that, that the psalmist here talks about. If you have a look down there in um, verse 7, uh, that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, and keep his commandments, three things. And here's how I think those three things actually fit together. You see, when you talk about something that God's done in the past, when you remember God's activity, you know what that feeds into? It feeds into God's activity in the present, which is hope, all right? Hope in the Bible is not a wish. Hope in the Bible is a sure and certain thing that it's going to happen. So what you do is you just kind of go, okay, I can remember five years ago God did this thing. So right in the middle of the thing at the moment where I can't see him, has anyone ever noticed that, that when you get into the middle of suffering and pain and trouble, you can't see anything? And it's like your hard drive just got wiped about everything God's ever done in your whole life. Has anyone ever had that? You get in that moment, right? It's like, well, where am I going to get hopeful? Because the truth is that you always hope and trust in something, all right? So at that point, if you cannot remember anything that God's ever done in your life, you're going to be in trouble when it comes to his character in that moment. And you're going to be tempted to hope and trust in things that are not God. So what is the psalmist saying? Well, what you need to do is you need to remember what he's done. When you remember what he's done, you remember what he's like. It's not just about remembering a, a, an historical event. You know, you could sit with your family and you could go, you know, I remember 10 years ago, God did such and such. All right? And your kids could go, so what? Well, you know what the so what is? The so what is, if he did that back then, the Bible tells me that God's, he never changes which means his character must be the same right now which means i can hope in him right now does that make sense so remembering his works is not just about an event it's actually about remembering his character how he's engaged with you how he's engaged with others then that's going to feed hope in the in, in the present which actually feeds into your actions 
and you're actually going to go out, your activity that comes out of that is going to be based on your hope in God. So what we're going to do today is we're going to work through most of the rest of the psalm and find out some things that it teaches us that I think fathers should be teaching to their children. All right? The history of God's redemption is revelatory. All right? Whenever God does something and engages with his people, it doesn't just tell you something that happens in history. It tells you something about who he, who he is. It reveals his love, his mercy, and his patience with his people. So today, I'm going to fly through really quick, but I've got nine points. It's a nine-point sermon today, and we're going to be done before 4 p.m. All right? Yes. But yeah, amen to that. See, that's the best thing I've said all morning. All right, you ready? Number one. Fathers, tell stories of God's redemption in your life to your children. All right, come with me to verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Here's the crux of the matter, right? If you forget God's redemption of you, then faith and love won't last very long. If you forget the areas in your life where God's worked in your life and he's worked to save you and to help you, your faith and your love for God will not last very long. So here's what it looks like, dads. Here's a couple of ideas. These are just sound to go to ideas. You've probably got better ones, but this is what I got. Talk regularly about how God comes through for you. Now, dads are doing this, right? This is the weird thing about dads sometimes, and it's not all of you, but some dads, they have this whole world that's going on all the time, but they rarely ever speak it out of their mouth. They don't talk about it. They don't talk to their kids about what they're praying about, what they're asking for God's help with, their need for God, the things that they're worried about. They just don't talk about that stuff. It just kind of stays under the surface. And then when the redemption happens, when God actually helps and walks alongside you, I mean, that's what's so good about what we had this morning about Restoration Sunday, right? It's like people getting up, speaking out what God's done, and then that actually stirs up hope in us. But we're sitting there, we're standing here, and we're just going, if he's like that, I can trust him. If he's like that, I can put my hope in him. So, Daz, you know what you need to do? You need to talk about it. You just need to talk about what happens in your day a little bit. I know there's stuff that you can't say to your kids, but you need to be as open with them as you can. You know, son, you know, daughter, I was really worried about that. You know, we're sweating on that one for the last month. I've been praying about it, talking to God about it. And you tell them this story and you tell the story of how God's leading you and walking alongside you as you go through tough things and how he comes to your aid. What about this one? Tell and retell stories of where God has come through in your family's history. You do this? I'm sure that in just about every family that's been following Jesus for long enough, there's just been times where God's done some really amazing things. And we're not just going to tell that once. You know, we're going to have moments where we're just going to go, do you remember what that was like when we were in that spot and it was really difficult and God came through for us? And we're going to talk about things like that and it's going to stir up trust and hope in God. And what about this one? Set aside regular times to thank God for what he's done. Just reflect on it. It's a counsellor coming out of me, maybe. Some of you guys going, no, don't reflect on me again. But it, it is, right? It's just kind of like, let's just reflect on it, you know? Let's, maybe at dinner, we just, what was something good that happened today that God was part of? You know, let's, let's be thinking about that kind of stuff. 
So fathers, tell stories of God's redemption in your life. Number two, fathers, teach your children what God expects of them. Go down to verse 7 and 8. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Do you know what God requires of you? He requires your loyalty. That's what he requires. Now, here's the thing. You can get stuck when you're doing parenting with your kids and just going, I require of you discipline. I require you to act a particular way. But before God expects you to act in a particular way, he expects you to be loyal to him. And dads, that's what God's expecting from your kids is loyalty and faithfulness to him. He's not looking for a perfect score sheet, right? Because he knows that the score sheet comes out of the heart's loyalty to him, the heart's relationship to him. Don't forget God. Be faithful. You see, this is not new, right? Some of you go, really? You have to do this with God? Yeah, you have to do it with God, but do you know what? You have to do it in every relationship. Like try having a relationship where you're not loyal to someone. Some of you have got relationships with someone who's disloyal to you. Really, really hard to have a relationship with them. Everyone with me on that? It just is. That's the inner workings of the way that relationship actually works. You know, if, if I go to work all day long, and maybe, you know, maybe even if I have to go away, like it was a little while ago, I went away for, for some work stuff for like three or four days, and I come back and I say to Ange, you know, I'd, Oh, you're my wife. That's right. I forgot. It's like I didn't even think about you once for the last four days. Now, that's going to be a problem, ladies, isn't it? Yes. Because that, that doesn't indicate loyalty, does it? Like forgetting doesn't indicate loyalty. You know, if I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking when I'm away, I'd like to talk with her right now, that's indicating loyalty. You see, that's, that's the way relationships work. Why would it be any different with God? It's not just about doing stuff. It's about the heart's loyalty. So, fathers, how can you teach that? Well, here's the thing. One of the things you need to work really hard on is teaching your children that disobedience is a relational reality. Let's be honest. When you're a parent... There are some times you just want your life to go well and you want to discipline something, discipline some, some disobedience, get the child into line so that your life can keep going the way that you want it to go or it can get back to the way that you want it to go. True? That's what it is sometimes, right? And who actually knows that getting to the heart of a child's behaviour takes a lot more effort and a lot more time? But that's what we're after because everyone's disobedience is a relational disloyalty to God, including your children. All right? We need to teach kids that they operate first and foremost in a relational sense to God. Everything that they do says something about what they think about God. Everything, because everything you do says something about what you think about God. It says everything about your loyalty to Him. So teach in your discipline that God is after their hearts, not just their behaviour. And you know what? Teach them that God is a friend who you talk to. Do that. See, that's loyal, isn't it? Like you go through the day. I mean, at the end of the day, you can say to your kids, man, I can't even count the number of times that God and I talked today. I can't even count it. 
What does that say? Well, if you're running some kind of weird legalistic thing where you get brownie points for it, that says something else. But you know what I'm saying today? That this says, it says I really like him and we're really close to each other and we're just going to stick together with stuff. And stuff happens in my day. We just kind of hang together. We just talk about stuff. He's a friend. He's a father. Jesus is my brother. We're kind of in, in the hood together, if I can say that. Fathers, teach your children what God expects of them, loyalty. Number three, fathers, teach your children they were born into sin. Have a look at verse 8 with me. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Why are your children sometimes stubborn and rebellious? Anyone like to take a punt? Because you are. (laughs) Yeah, you're born into sin. Because you are, right? Why are they? Because they're your descendants. That's what it is. It's like, one of the things I joke about sometimes is like, yeah, let's get two people together and get them married, two sinners, and then let's have them add a whole bunch more sinners to their household. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, Really love the idea of having lots of kids and big families and all that sort of stuff, right? But every addition is another sinner into the house, right? And why are there more sinners coming into into the house? Because two sinners had kids. And all the times when you get really frustrated with your kids' dads because they've been stubborn and rebellious, you just need to think that must be what it's like for God to be your father. Like it just must be really frustrating for him sometimes. And so part of it is, I mean, in a sense, there's probably some kids sitting here and just going, eh, see, it's not my fault. You gave it to me. (laughs) All right? And it's kind of like that a little bit, just a tiny bit, except that those kids have done their own stuff and then they're probably going to end up having kids and they're going to pass this thing on. They're sinners. They're sinners. Uh, Fathers, teach your children they were born into sin. You know, last week I talked about um, the fact that in redemption that, that Jesus has come and he's fundamentally changed things so that there's a new normal so what I'm talking about here is is the old normal okay before someone actually gets saved by Jesus this is the normal is to sin and be rebellious and stubborn all right so in a sense you kind of go into your family sometimes and you just go dads you just go why are you being stubborn and rebellious and and I was walking over this morning from from home over there just going yeah that's that's me I'm stubborn and rebellious and I'm frustrating for God on many occasions. So how do you do this? Teach them from the Bible. Teach them from your failures. You talk about your failures, Dad? Dads? You talk about where you blow out, where you lose your temper, where you're anxious, where you blow it when it comes to temptation appropriately? And this one, teach them from humanity's failures. Got to be careful. I mean, there's lots of just thirsty stuff on the news, right? But the news can be helpful sometimes, right? When you're sitting and watching the news, you just go, you know, and this happens every now and then for us. You just go, can you believe what that guy's doing? You know? And, and then we just talk about what this, what this person's done and the trouble that it's actually caused. Fathers, teach your children they were born into sin. Four, fathers, teach your children that God shows up even when we don't. Let's start at verse 9. I'm going to read from 9 through to 17. 
the Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. Do you hear that? It's like he's doing stuff, even though they're not with him. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Listen, yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. You see, the people failed in battle and they failed to enjoy the blessings because of flagrant disobedience and disregard of God's covenant. Yet, God still shows up. Like it's like, that's a like, what the moment? You just go, what? Like, just come again? Like they did all that stuff and he still showed up and did some stuff amongst them. That's correct. That's what he does. That's what God does. He shows up when we don't. You see, they're they're in the wilderness sojourning. They're seeing the presence with them of the pillars of cloud and the fire. He supplies them miraculously with water. And you know, the tragic thing about uh, Israel back then is, is this, listen to this, they were not overwhelmed by God's ability to deliver. Just stop for a minute and think about that. They were not overwhelmed with God's ability to deliver. And I would ask you this morning, dads and everyone else, do you operate in your life with an ongoing reality that you're overwhelmed with God's ability to deliver? Do you? It's like something comes up and you just go, yeah, he's got that. He's got that sorted. I just need to find out how he wants me to walk through it with him. Is that, is that the natural, you know, doctor kind of, you know, hammer on the reflex on the knee, you know, the leg kicks. Is that it? It's just like something happens. You just, my reflex action is, yep, he's got this. This will be good. This will be fine. You see, the Israelites, in response to God's presence, guidance and provision, they rebelled. Dads, you need to teach your children that God shows up even when we don't. How do you do this? Well, you speak words of grace over them even when they don't care about God. That's what you do. You keep speaking God's words over them, his love for them. You tell your kids that he is close to them when they are far away. Who here knows that's been true for them, that there's been times they've been far away, but God's been close. Come on, be honest, just stick your hand up. Absolutely, right? That's that's just how it is. So your kid just goes, I'm nowhere near God, don't even want him. You just go, that's not where my hope was resting anyway. (laughs) Just a wry smile on your face because you go, your hope is not that you're sticking close to God, but that he shows up even when you don't. And you know, the last little suggestion here is I'll just say to your dad show up for your kids when they don't you know what incarnate means it means in the meat or in the flesh that's what it means so dads you can incarnate God's love for your children by showing up when they don't show up for you when they don't help you when they don't do things that are helpful when they when they're causing trouble You showing up incarnates God's love right in their midst. Number five, fathers, teach your children that cravings for things are never 
satisfied. Come with me to verse 17. Note uh, in verse 16 there that God had just, the psalmist talks about how God made streams come out of the rock. Verse 17. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Do you hear what's going on? It's like they're in, in the wilderness and they're thirsty, and it's like, we need food, we need food, we need food. And it's kind of like, if you, sorry, we need water, we need water, we need water. If you just give us water, we'll be okay. And you know what happens? As soon as they get water, they want food. Can you even do it? I don't know whether you can even do this. And this is kind of like the, the, the kid that kind of says, I'd like this, can you just give me this? And so the dad just, okay, I'll give you that. And then it's not enough. And then they go, now I want this. And so you give in, you give them that. And now they want this. And you know what? They're never, ever satisfied because it was never, ever about satisfaction. It was always about what was ruling their heart and the craving that was in their heart. Do you see that? It's not about... A craving, you can't satisfy a craving. You can't. <laughs> so don't start trying, all right? Don't start trying to satisfy a craving because the problem is a heart issue. It's not a satisfaction issue. So when I was a younger guy, I can't remember, I was probably about 10 or 12, I remember going to my uh, cousin's place and uh, it was in Brisbane there. I can still remember being in the, in the office with him, right? And, and they had a computer there and his dad was a bit of a computer nut, so it was probably a 286, if anyone even knows what I'm talking about. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? A 286 or something like that, and it was probably running DOS, all right? So kids are going, what the heck's DOS? It's a deformed dog. Uh, it, it was probably running DOS. So I remember going in there, and you know what he's doing? He's, he's playing what I, was probably a DOS cricket game, right? So we're talking... 75 years ago. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about 30 years ago, right? So you're just going, what do some of the kids are going, did they even have computer games like 30 years ago? Yeah, they did, right? And they're really, really lame. Listen, listen to what my cousin uh, said to me. He said, come in here and look at this cricket game. He goes, I'm never going to get sick of this game. <laughs> and people laugh. You just go, yeah, righto. Because here's the thing, right? He actually believed something about that cricket game that it was never, ever going to satisfy. And cravings are like that. It's like, if I could just get that, I'm going to be happy. And it doesn't work like that. Because the issue is not with the thing. The issue is with the person's heart. That contentment's always about a malfunctioning heart, not about satisfaction. Always, always, always. So what, what are one of the things that you can do to help your kids well i reckon you could even possibly just keep a journal just a secret journal right write down the things that your children say about how satisfied they will be with the new thing all right just quote it all right that'll be a bit full on to kind of get them to sign it but just kind of get them to you know quote it in the journal just keep keep a record of it okay because the truth is that that's just the way cravings work like in Five days' time, it's like, now yeah, it's not that cool anymore. And I thought it was going to be everything for me. It's just like, see, that's why cravings don't work. The issue is your own heart. 
teach them about the dynamics of cravings at times when they have no cravings. All right? The person who has a craving is deceived. <laughs> it's really difficult to teach someone who's deceived. All right? So the best thing to do, I think, is to wait until they're not deceived and then just go, here's the deal. You know that thing that you think is going to save your life over there? It's not going to save your life. And when they're in their right mind, you have good conversations about that. So they just go, oh, yeah, I can actually see that. And you help them. So fathers, teach your children that cravings for things are never satisfied. Uh, Number six, grab your Bibles again. Fathers, teach your children to love the giver, not the gifts. Verse 21 to 31. Therefore, when the Lord heard he was full of wrath, the fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Like, just pause there for a sec, right? (laughs) Why is God cranky with the people? Because they didn't trust him to save them. Like, that's weird, isn't it? Don't you think that's weird? Like, I was talking to a dude last night. He said he was down at the Murphy's Creek motocross track down there, right? He was down there at the Murphy's Creek motocross track. He was there with one of his mates. His mate got a spiral fracture in his leg in it, below his knee, right? He was two k's into the bush. They couldn't get the ambulance in there. Do you know what they had to do? They had to call in the chopper to chop this guy out because they couldn't get him out. Now, what sort of idiot at that point in time says, get the person who called the chopper. I want to have a word to him. Tell him to get stuffed. I don't want to have anything to do with that rescue chopper. Get out of here. Why are they doing that? That'd be dumb, right? Just go, man, we're going to do a CAT scan of you and see if you've even got a brain when you get to hospital, all right? Because it's like the dumbest thing. Like, who does that? Who says, get out of here? I don't want you saving me. I don't want you helping me. And that's what God's getting angry with his people about. And that's what we do, right? It's like you get into trouble and it's like we don't want him anymore. And then it's like the weirdest thing. It's like, all right, so you're getting angry at me because you've got an infection or I'm giving you an antibiotics. Like, who's doing that? Oh, you have rescue chopper. You're angry at me because you're stuck somewhere and you can't get out and I'm coming to save you and you don't want me. That's why I'm angry at you. Like, it's just weird. Let's get back to it. Verse uh, 23. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate of the bread of angels. Listen to the stuff that they're getting. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power, he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. And they ate and they were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. You see, they got lots of things from God, but it was the gifts that they wanted and not God himself. And it's a crime to not love God the most. And the, the, the punishment is great here because the crime is great. Because God is so great, not loving him the most and loving the gifts more than him is a massive, massive insult. So here's a couple of suggestions for him. Make a habit of stopping regularly and thanking God for the gifts that you have. Do you know, you, you have a family liturgy, all right? You just have a way that you do things, all right? 
anyone could kind of come in and watch what your family does and work out what is important and what is valuable to the family by the way that you do things, all right? And one of the ways that you can, you can build this kind of concept in that we're not just taking stuff and enjoying the stuff that we're um, enjoying the giver of it is saying grace before dinner. Pretty simple. It's really just saying this food didn't just come from Mr. Coles and Mrs. Woolworths, all right? This food actually came from God. And so we're going to stop and we're just going to say, God, thank you for providing this food for us. And then to go further than that, And as you're enjoying a gift, dads, let me encourage you, why don't you just talk about how good God must be in the middle of that, that he's given you such a sweet gift. Who knows, it rained and it was windy and it was cold on Friday night. It did, right? Who knows, it was nice to be in a warm, dry house. See, God gave you that. He did. Anything good that you get is because he gave it to you. (laughs) So... Friday night, you could have just been saying, like, you enjoyed, I'm sure you enjoyed, and maybe heaps of you did this, right? So I'm not, I'm not bagging you, but like, on Friday night, it's not just, how good is it to have a nice, warm, dry house? It's actually, how good is God to give us a nice, warm, dry house? Isn't he so good to us? And you're pushing through the gift to enjoy the giver of the gift. Dads, I'd encourage you to think about ways that you could do that. Number seven, fathers, Teach your children to repent quickly and slowly. Let's go to verse 32 in Psalm 78. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Don't be like that guy. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and the years in terror. When he killed them, listen to this, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. Oh, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Here's the thing. Repentance is when you turn away from something that you're doing. Now, here's the thing. You want your kids, I think, to be quick and slow at repentance. Let me do quick first. Quick is that we want children and we want all of us to just go, to be really quick to just go, I did that wrong, okay, I'm sorry. Just reflex, right? The old hammer on the knee, you know? It's like someone comes up and goes, Peter, you got something wrong? You go, yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't have, you know? There's a sense in which we want... A, a soft, tender heart when it comes to our failures. Anyone with me on that? But also, in addition to that, sounds almost contrary to it, is to be slow in our repentance. Because what's the human tendency? The human tendency is to want to get out of pain. And sometimes you can teach your kids with repentance, you can teach them that if they say sorry, they can get out of the pain that they're in and go back to getting what they, what they were getting before. They can go back to the same program they were on about getting what they want. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And they, and they say sorry. Here's the thing. Psalm 51, you know this, right? Psalm 51, David says, it is against you and you only that I've sinned. You see, one of the things that we need to do, dads, with our kids is to push our kids to realise that the greatest, most significant component 
of any offence that they do is the one that's done before God. And we need to be careful when they just want to kind of kick in really quick and just go, I can get back to my program. I can get back to getting what I want to get. I can get back to that if I just say sorry and I do the right stuff here. I can get back to getting what I want. And their heart actually hasn't been changed between them and God. You see, we all like pain minimisation, don't we? I mean, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking when I was a younger guy. I mean, how many times I actually repented and I said sorry to God and confessed stuff to God because I was feeling the guilt and the shame and the pain of all of that. And that's all okay, but it's just not fully formed. And it's like, I'm going to say sorry because I'm in pain right now and I just want to get out of this pain and this feels really yucky and so I'm just going to say sorry to get out of it. But there was a lot of times there that I never actually reached the point of realising that there was a, real, a really important vertical thing going on between God and myself. Teach your children to beware of the way that people respond to get what they want. Teach them that. How can you do this? You can ask your kids questions like this maybe. And maybe heaps of other ones you can come up with. Ask your children what God thinks about what they did. Is there even a factor in there? You know, I, there was someone I, uh, I heard about yesterday who uh, wanted to confess some stuff. And um, I, just, I just asked the question. I said, why do they want to confess it? See, it's, it's one thing to be in a, middle, a bunch of pain relationally and want to confess stuff to deal with that pain. It's a whole other thing to go... Now, nah, I've actually caused a whole bunch of pain and trouble to God. That's, that's the first cab off the rank that I need to deal with and I'll deal with that and then he's going to send me to other people to resolve things and to confess things. That's what we need to be teaching our kids. Ask your kids what their deed, what they've done, ask them what that says about what they think of God. Number eight, almost done. Fathers, teach your children that God can be fierce. Verses 56. Let's go there. 56 to 66. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. <laughs> you know, I mean, our equivalent is like you've got a cap gun. And you get out and the, you know, I don't know, some marauding army's coming at you and you pull the thing and just a pop goes off. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of a deceitful bow. It's like, I've got a whole quiver here full of arrows and I'm just going to let one of these loose and then all of a sudden it twists on you and it's useless. That's what God's kind of saying. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel, he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh the tent where he dwelt among mankind and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke us from a sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine. It's a bit of Dutch courage there. And he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. Let me tell you something about... God's anger and his love as spoken about in the scriptures. Two things about God's anger. One thing about God's anger is it never flashes up really quickly. 
Never. God's anger is never, ever talked about in the Bible as like you do one thing, bam, and he's just angry at you. All right? He's always talked about as being someone who's slow to be angry. Sometimes centuries. All right? What we're talking about here is we're talking about people who have made a beeline against God. They've gone after idols, you know? And, and sometimes, like for us, you just kind of go... In our sanitised West, I was talking to someone about this last night, in our sanitised West, you just kind of go, really angry? Like he's going to be fierce? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely he's going to be fierce, right? And if you're from a brutal country where people are getting murdered and raped and ripped off and their houses burnt and evil people are in charge, you're going to be going, yeah, let's see a little bit more fierceness over here. God needs to be fierce. I mean, you've got a king in the Old Testament who sacrificed his infant son to a demon false god right and i'm just going kill him if you're going to do that kill him you know if we if that happened today if someone a senior pastor in a church in australia decided to offer their child and burn their child in a fire we'd do that right we'd have that thing inside of us he needs to be taken out right and this is the kind of thing that's going on here is god's anger is really really is slow to anger but he gets angry. And there are things in the world that need his fierceness. Amen? Who knows that? You know that, right? Let me tell you something else about God's anger. It only ever lasts for a time. You ever notice that? It doesn't like go on forever. It's just like there's a season for his anger. Let me compare for you his love. He's quick to love, isn't he? He's not slow to love. He's quick to love. Someone tell me about how long God's, God's love goes for. Everlasting. And you've got Psalms like that, right? You've got Psalms where it's like one line, his love endures forever. Another line, his love endures forever. And it says it like 50 times. Just go, I get it. You get to like the fifth line, they just go, no, you don't get it, right? Because you're going to forget it in about 10 minutes, Right? When you get tempted about something or when something happens that's going to mess with your life, you're just going to go, no, I don't get it anymore. No, he does. He loves you forever. He loves you forever. He loves you forever. He loves you forever. His anger lasts for a time. His love lasts forever. And with his children, God's anger is the anger of a disciplining, loving father. You know, I was talking to uh, someone in the, at the halftime break today between the two services and, um, you know, we are just talking about, um, you know, y- your kids can blow it at something and you're not really that angry. It's just like, no, you just take it in your stride, you know. He goes, well, you know what, when I start to see a pattern in my kids and they're really heading in a, in a, in a really unhelpful, harmful direction, he goes, I'm really going to step up to the plate at that point. And then we just started reflecting, yeah, I think that's what God's like. It's like, his love is always there, but once you start really heading in a particular direction, well, he's really going to step up to the plate. And you get dad's cranky face. <laughs> you know, you get dad's frown. It's like, you know, he is not one to be trifled with. And that's what we need to teach our kids, isn't it? He is not one to be trifled with. You don't, he's not lovey-dovey, only ever just receiving from you you get me he is loving but he's not like just i'll just take whatever you can give me peter no he's a father he's a father leading his household 
And if you head in a particular direction that's not helpful, he will stand in your way, and if necessary, he will be fierce. Listen to, uh, well, let me just say this. Let me give you this one first. Uh, Teaching your children that God can be fierce is more caught than taught. So I would just ask the dads here today, where is the evidence of that in your life? Where is the evidence in your life that God can be fierce? Is there evidence in the times where you get tempted? Where's the evidence in times of your diligence with, uh, with reading the Bible, with praying, maybe fasting? I mean, you, you go back, some of you know this, right? You go back to the story of Job. Remember what Job would do every time his kids would have a party? He'd get up in the morning and offer sacrifice for his kids just in case they sinned against God. Yeah, I'm not saying you've got to do that. That would be weird, right? You'd take, you know, Polly the parrot out and take the head off in the morning. I'm not saying that, right? But you can see there's an evidence there. There is an evidence there in Job that he knew that God was fierce. As much as he knew that he was walking with God, that God could actually be fierce and you could actually see it. So I just ask the dads, where can you see it? Is there, are there places where your kids can actually see that? Listen to what uh, Ed Welsh says about this. The fact that God sees every aspect of our lives may at first leave us afraid and eager to hide from God rather than in awe want, uh, wanting to embrace him. But the fear of the Lord makes us aware both of God's holy purity and hatred of sin and his holy patience and forgiveness. When we remember both, we have no reason to run in fear, especially since there is no place to run beyond the gaze of God. Instead, as we look to the Lord, we see that he invites, cleanses and empowers us to grow in holiness. Number nine, and the last one. I might just ask Matt to come forward. I'm just going to close with a song in a moment. Just uh, grab your Bibles here. Let's finish on this note. Just start from the, uh, the beginning of 78 there. Have a look at verse 4. Um, Fathers, above all, teach your children about the kindness of God. Verse 4, we'll not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation, listen to this, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Go across to 16. God made streams to come out of the rock and cause rivers to flow down like rivers. I mean, he's providing for his people. Verse 20, talking about before, about how the people did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. Across to verse 40 there, and just 40 to 51, it actually freed the people from Egypt and they completely forgot about that. How kind is that? That he would free. Then verse 52, what does he do? God leads his people out of Egypt. How? And he guides them in the wilderness like a flock. And then the next verse there, 53, he led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Down to verse 70 to 72, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel and his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. God is so caring toward you and he's so kind and you know if there's an aftertaste that fathers you need to leave with your kids it's that God is kind to them and he's gracious to them and he's loving to them and you know those last few verses there 70 to 72 talk about how God raised up David he raised up a shepherd to shepherd his people well you know Jesus was the David wasn't he you know that (laughs) And what was Jesus called? Well, Jesus was called the Great Shepherd, the Good Shepherd. 
wasn't he? And that's what God's interested in. He knows sheep are dumb. And a, the great hope of a dumb sheep is a good shepherd, right? And God's seeing to it that we have a good shepherd to look after us. Isn't that kind? All the things that we do that are kind of a burr in, in God's saddle, so to speak, you know, it keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming and associating himself with us and building in structures, building in uh, um, structures that will help us to know his kindness and his grace and his guidance.